Joe McCarthy, Richard Nixon, Studebaker, Television, North Korea, South Korea, Marilyn Monroe. We didn't start the fire. It was always burning since the world's been turning. We didn't start the fire. No, we didn't light it, but we tried to fight it. Do you remember Billy Joel's song, We Didn't Start the Fire? It was on an album, which actually was a vinyl album, back in 1989. Billy Joel, as you know, is an artist, and he wrote hit songs such as Piano Man, Just the Way You Are, An Uptown Girl. And Billy Joel wrote this song after he had turned 40 and was, as one journalist notes, in the midst of professional instability. He was just writing a new album after a three-year break. He had just recently fired his business manager for embezzlement. And in the midst of this creative and relational and financial turbulence, Joel was in the recording studio with Julian Lennon and, and a friend of Julian's who had just turned 21. And this friend who had just turned 21 was lamenting how hard it was to be 21 in 1989 and suggested to Joel it was much difficult growing up in the 1980s and in the 1950s. And Joel, a lifelong history buff, was surprised by the lack of this young man's understanding of the 1950s and 60s where we had the Korean conflict, the civil rights movement, and, and the Cold War. So Joel recorded a song, a a mini history lesson that began in 1949, the year he was born, and went through 40 years of of conflict and historical events. The underlying premise of the song was from the vantage point of 1989. The world was on fire. But this fire, said Joel, started a long, long time ago. Do you think that's true? Does it feel as if the world is on fire? This morning we begin our Advent series, The the Call of Christmas, and over the coming weeks we will draw near to biblical texts that call us to embrace hope in our lives and and to seek transformation and ultimately to experience a, a, a miracle under a Bethlehem star. We launch our series with the call of the prophet, in particular the call of the prophet Isaiah. Now Isaiah, as you might have remembered, lived about 700 years before Jesus and is is one of the most influential figures in the Bible. In fact, biblical scholar Ronald Clement suggests that that Isaiah represents this, this Bible in miniature. And what does Clements mean by that? Well, Isaiah spans 66 chapters, and it begins by addressing how how to live in the awful reign of King Uzziah and ends with the hope that Israel would be restored to prominence through the leadership of Cyrus the Great. Isaiah is a Bible in miniature as it depicts the broad scope of this historical perspective and begins with the the theological arc of a nation in lament and with the hope of its rebirth. Second, Isaiah offers readers these very vivid images and words. It's in Isaiah, for example, we hear the words, 
here I am, Lord, send me. The core of one of our our favorite hymns. Isaiah's words appear in Handel's Messiah. Our hymn this morning, Lo, How a Rose, Ere Blooming, has the line, Isaiah twas foretold it. Isaiah's words also appear repeatedly in the New Testament and establish this link between the prophecy of the Jewish scriptures and the reality that the light of the world is coming into the world. As St. Augustine summarized more clearly than others, Isaiah foretold the gospel of Jesus Christ. But to be fair, from the perspective of the people who actually lived in the time of Isaiah, the birth of the Messiah would not occur for another 700 years. In Isaiah's time, what people saw instead as they walked the streets to to buy bread, as their children went to school, as friends came over for dinner and they discussed the state of the world, the state of their lives, what they saw was a world on fire. On your bulletin cover this morning is a photograph of a man who a few weeks ago was was strumming a guitar as barricades burned behind him in the city of Santiago, Chile. When I saw that photograph, I couldn't stop staring at it with its jarring juxtaposition of, of raging flames And someone strumming a guitar in lament, or perhaps in hope. It made me think of Les Miserables, a 19th century protester summiting barricades to fight an oppressive king. It made me reflect on the state of our world today, and as I learned, as Anthony Fioli noted a few weeks ago, a few days ago, In Ecuador, as you might know, student protests have flared against authority measures. In Bolivia, opposition protests have emerged against a socialist government. In Argentina, there are protests against rising food prices. In Peru, there are demonstrations against a president and and a corrupt Congress. And that's just South America. As David Brooks noted a few days ago, throngs are marching to preserve democratic rights in in Hong Kong, in Warsaw, in Istanbul, and in Moscow. Masses are angry in Pakistan, in Indonesia, and even in Saudi Arabia. This is the most widespread surge in, in global civil unrest since 1989, says Brooks. The world is unsteady and ready to blow. But back in 1989, Billy Joel noted, we didn't start the fire. It was always burning since the world was turning. And it is in addressing that conflicted and unsettled reality this morning that we hear the call of the prophet. Isaiah chapter 9. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. For in the future, God will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. 
They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor, every warrior's boot used in battle. Every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For to us, a child is born. For to us, a son is given. The government will be on his shoulders. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the greatness of his government and peace. There will be no end. Now, after 2,000 years of Christian thought and meditation and singing and preaching, we hear those words and know the one Isaiah is prophesizing about is Jesus. He is the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father, prince of peace. But before we step too quickly out of Isaiah's text and and into the New Testament, it's important to recognize for those who heard Isaiah's words at the time, What they heard and what he foretold was a new king would lead God's people out of the gloom of living under the reign of an awful king at the time and the threat of Assyria. This new king, said Isaiah, would lead God's people into the light. And the attire of war, warrior boots, and garments rolled in blood, would be thrown into this fire, creating a light by which a new future could be seen. But here's the thing. It didn't really happen. A new king was born, King Hezekiah, and he did fight off the Assyrians. And as Walter Brueggemann notes, Hezekiah enacted some remarkable policies, but in the end, His rule proved a disappointment. Hezekiah ultimately capitulated to the rising power of Babylon. High expectations were not realized. Perhaps, laments Walter Brueggemann, it is always so. Do you believe that's the case? That the world is on fire and it will always be It is just always so. Yes, the Israelites heard a prophecy a child would be born, a new king would reign, until he didn't. Yes, military garments rolled in blood might have been burned in a fire during Hezekiah's reign, but it didn't last. Warriors made new boots. And 700 years passed until... Jesus was born, and then 2,000 years have passed since then, and all the while, new military garments have been sewed, rolled in blood, over and over again. In other words, we might ask ourselves on this first Sunday of Advent, what is the call of the prophet to exactly? Especially in a world that at times feels on fire. Well, David Brooks suggests what's needed is a a new social contract 
One that addresses the inequalities fueling the fires around the world. Whoever can write that social bargain wins the future, says Brooks. A bargain where the playing field is is level for the, the rural worker and the multinational corporation. But here's the thing is I thought about Brooks' idea this week and the problem is, is a new social contract written by human beings for human beings will in the end, as history shows, be always flawed. The Hezekiahs of our world, they, they come and they go. Things might get better for a little while and, and then they don't. And the fire keeps burning. But then I realized that's not the prophecy of Isaiah. There will arise a new social contract. Rather, what Isaiah saw in his his prophetic imagination was a new world where a wonderful counselor, a mighty God, an everlasting father, a prince of peace would be born. And that's what we gather to celebrate at midnight on December 24th. But here's the thing, as Brueggemann puts it, it turns out the recognition of a new king is not just a Christmas Eve lark. It constitutes for us a new vocation. We are recruited for action that is congruent with this new regime. Meaning, until Christ comes again, the call of the prophet is a call to recognize we we are citizens, we, we are subjects even, not of an earthly king, but one who upholds a divine government on his shoulders. And that is a divine government of peace where flames will and do consume the attire of war. A government which is great, And as Isaiah described, is one of peace and a government of which there will be no end. So as Christians, as citizens of this divine government, you and I have a vocation. We are called by the prophet to live our lives congruent with this new regime. And what does that congruency look like? What does this new heavenly king ask of us on December 25th? Well, the prophet Amos described it this way. Seek good and not evil. Let justice roll on like a river, righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. The prophet Jeremiah said it this way. Thus declares the Lord, I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. And the prophet Micah gave us this charge. God has shown you what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. So come on this first Sunday of Advent, let us be on our way to Bethlehem, 
where Isaiah's king waits. A pilgrimage we embark on every year to remind us of our true citizenship. And that though the world might feel as if it's on fire today, in South America, in Hong Kong, in our own country, there is nonetheless work for each of us to do this Advent and in the days of our lives. To seek good, to discern God's law in our minds and our hearts, to act with justice, to act with mercy, and to walk humbly with our God. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Amen.